Amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you too. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the 42nd verse of Acts, chapter 13. We'll take verses 42 through 52. And this morning's message is entitled, To Hear the Word of God. Would you please stand for the reading of the word, beginning in verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but... Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women. And the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. To hear the word of God. That title comes right out of our text this morning. But before I get to this, I want to go over some things that I think are vital to remaining stable and balanced in our approach to the scriptures, all of the scriptures. Early on, the Jews were faced with this fact by God, that they were, they were sinners like everybody else. In spite of all that God invested in, into the Jewish people and their future as the people of God, they are still like everybody else. This comes right out of Deuteronomy 9. God says to them, Do not think in your heart after Yahweh your God has cast them out. That would be the Canaanites. Have cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, Yahweh has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that Yahweh is driving them out before you. And so there the Lord is saying, don't think you're so special. Uh, I'm, I'm using you as an instrument of judgment. Later, of course, he will lay out for them that they would be judged likewise should they become wicked as the Canaanites. Well, even later in the New Testament, they would have to face the fact that they were invited to receive their Messiah in Christ Jesus and to believe him, not as Jews, but 
really as sinners. It, it comes down to mankind facing the fact that we are born in iniquity before a righteous and holy God. And they would have to face this fact just like everybody else. Paul the Apostle, a devout, a devout Jewish Pharisee, he was saved outside of the Jewish law. He knew the Jewish scripture, and yet it wasn't through reading of the scripture, hearing the sermons from the scripture, that he was saved. He saw the glorified Messiah. He heard his voice and sat under his teaching. He went forward in the strength of the Holy Spirit, not in the strength of Moses. Now, that's not a slight against Moses. Moses is part of the process as God has designed it. And he went forward, Paul did, in the gospel, as I mentioned, entirely apart from the law of Moses, yet not without it. There is a big however on this. Jesus rejected the Samaritan religion. He rejected every other religion. When he told the woman at the well, salvation is of the Jews. And that's one of the reasons why Paul would first go to the synagogue, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. It was a natural fit. We went over that in earlier chapters. But I want to read just that section again from John 4. Jesus told the woman at the well straight out, you worship what you do not know. I mean, that's like right there. He's saying your religion is a mess. And he went on to say, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Christianity fulfills this with greater authority. Again, this is God's design. Not the destruction, but the fulfillment of the law. Still, the Old Testament is vital to us as God's word. Equal authority. As the New Testament, it is one revelation unfolding before us. I would not know my New Testament without my Old Testament. For example, how would I know mankind's origins and the beginning of sin were it not for Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 3? How would I know how to approach God were it not for Exodus chapter 3? Where God tells Moses, take the sandals off your feet. The ground you stand upon is holy ground. How would I know what was meant by idolatry without such chapters as Leviticus 26? How would I know the woe of disbelieving the promises of God without Numbers 14? They were promised to go into the land of of flowing with milk and honey. But they didn't believe it because there were giants in the land. And for that, they paid. How would I know that God's people are not intrinsically better than everybody else were not for the verse I just read you from Deuteronomy chapter 9? And it goes on. It just goes on and on about the authority of God, the love of God. How would I know not to reject his appointed authority without number 16? Where Datham and his gang rejected the authority of Moses and Aaron, and the ground swallowed them up for it. Yeah, the Old Testament is vital to us. But it is the New Testament that is primary. And it is a good lesson to learn. To really be touched with God's love for sinners. 
And the purpose of the Old Testament prophecies and rituals and ceremonies and types, you have to come to the New Testament. There you come face to face with the Son of God who died for sinners. You have to come to the place of death known as Golgotha in the Hebrew, Calvary in the Latin. Revelation twenty two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root of the, and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. It is all about him. This is how the Father wants it, and this is how the Holy Spirit upholds it. One falls in love with the truth when you fall out of love with lies. And the world loves lies. They would not say it that way, not at all. But they just conduct themselves that way. Until Pentecost, when the church was born, if God had anything to say, he said it primarily through a Jew. There are a few exceptions to that. For 2,000 years, if God had anything to say, he said it in the Hebrew language, with few exceptions. For 2,000 years, if a Gentile wanted to know God, he had to go through a Jew. Now, for the last 2,000 years, if a sinner wants to know God and how to be forgiven of their sins, it is through the Bible and the Christian, the New Testament church built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. All of this just dovetails right together, fits perfectly. This is the Christianity we love and adore. In Acts chapter 18, there was a Jewish preacher who preached Messiah, but he only had limited, he had only limited knowledge of John the Baptist and that baptism. And Priscilla and Aquila, two Christians, pulled him aside. And said, listen, you, you got a lot of facts right in your Old Testament, but you haven't gone far enough. And they schooled him. And then he took that, and the Jews could not refute his preaching about Messiah. A vital point for us. To love and to understand and to use and to be used with the New Testament and the Old Testament together. This morning, well, before I get into this morning, this is what Paul was facing. Everything I just said was what he was putting into motion, God using him to do this, and the other believers also. We resume the story this morning of Paul's preaching in a synagogue at the end of the service. What was the result of his preaching? When he stood up and said, let me tell you about the, the Moses and the Jewish people and our Messiah and what the prophets have said and that Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of this. Well, then what happened? Well, that's what we're getting here. He preached from the scriptures that Jesus is Messiah. He mentions Jesus by name in verse 23. But now we skip to verse 24, having addressed the previous verses in last session. Verse 42, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offered to everyone who comes into range. There's no, well, you know, that person doesn't get it. They're an Amorite. They're a Philistine. 
those two peoples don't exist, but you could put any name there and you'd be wrong. The gospel is offered to everybody. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15. It is a commandment of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel, to offer it to whoever would receive the offer. These two men, Saul, or Paul at this point, and Barnabas, they are making this announcement. They are announcing that the Messiah has come. They are heralds. They are delivering, they are publishing the message. They did not stop to argue, just to deliver. And this is what they are doing. There is no message of Christ's gospel without the cross of Christ. They go together. And there's no speaking of the cross of Christ without the resurrection of Christ, that he overcomes death. That there is life after this life. Then the Gentiles, it says here in verse 42, beg that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. The primary function of the church is to assemble to hear the word of God. That is the primary function of the assembly. Not to sit home and hear it on your own, but to assemble. This is the primary. There are secondaries, but this is the main thing. And this is what the scripture teaches us. Other things are not as important. Though the other things are often made primary by people of God. And the word of God is made secondary. That's upside down. That's backwards. It should not be that way. Why would any Christian disagree with this? Why would any Christian stand up and say, no, no, the Bible's not all that. Programs, community service, <clears throat> other things are more important than the word of God and the house of God. That would be a lie. Paul, teaching the pastors how to pastor. Preach the word, he said. Be ready in season and out of season. Well, that, that's all the time. That's without exception. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. I've not fully worked out the long-suffering part voluntarily. But involuntarily, I have. You have to. Uh, all of us have to put up with each other to some degree at some point. Just make sure you're not the guilty one should there be guilt. These Gentiles knew that the religion that religions of the world outside of Judaism that they were born and raised with that was they were exposed with, uh, to everywhere they knew it was false that can't be right there's no evidence for this there's nothing to substantiate it there really are no spiritual features of true prophecies these oracles that they talk about are so lame and they're so general that they really don't count so when they were exposed to Judaism, they said, this is creation. This is how man became a sinner. This makes sense. This has a spiritual feature of prophecies. And there were many prophecies already fulfilled in the Old Testament concerning various things. The Gentiles attending the synagogue knew that Judaism was much closer to the truth than anything that ever came out of paganism. Hosea, when he writes, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. There are bigger things than ceremonies and rituals that belong to religion. And those things are the practice of 
what those things represent. And every sacrifice, every blood sacrifice, every grain sacrifice is God saying to man, I can be approached on my terms. You can come to me and I will receive you. It's going to cost something, but not too much. Because I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. This is profound. We shouldn't forget it. Christ has fulfilled all of this for us. He is our sacrifice. He offered himself in our place, took our judgment upon himself. This is real religion and not man's religion. And hearing the words of God, uh, that's not enough. It's not enough to hear the word of God. It's not enough to hear the word of God just to fall in love with him. But falling in love with him comes only from hearing his word or else what are you hearing? There's no other way. Faith comes by hearing. That is a fact. And that's why the Bible has recorded and preserved that scripture verse. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And we love that it's so. And we are here this morning to hear the word of God so that we can hear from God. That's the purpose. Whatever junk I may have going on, God knows how to sort it out and bring it to my attention. Maybe it's something I wasn't even thinking of. Maybe it's something I don't really want to hear. Maybe it's something I was hoping somebody would say to me. Whatever is going on on the inside, God knows. The preacher doesn't know. He just tried, listens to the Lord. He's the messenger. He is the angel of the church. He goes up and tries to deliver that message. He is the messenger, not the angelic messenger, but the word angel means messenger. And so that is, uh, that is true and it is, it is proper. Those who killed Christ, they heard his sermons. They saw his miracles. They still, not all of them, uh, were, remained hostile to him. Judas Iscariot traded on him. Mark 14, Jesus said, I was daily with you in the temple teaching. You had all your chances to arrest me then. Why are you doing it now? And of course, you know, he, he held everything under his control. But the point that I am making is not enough to hear the word of God, yet without hearing the word of God, how do you know anything about him? You're left in a position where you just start making stuff up, and of course that is idolatry. It is something God detests. As hostile as they were, as hostile as they were to Jesus Christ in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he never gave up on them. He never gave up on Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, the one that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. After his crucifixion, a violent death, that public death, and then his resurrection, this is what he tells his disciples about Jerusalem. He says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, which means all peoples, beginning at Jerusalem. Luke 24, verse 47. Well, what kind of lesson is in that? People that shove me around and bully me, I still look to give them the gospel. I still look to offer the gospel. I don't have to like them, but I have to love them. And that love is a deeper thing than liking them. It means that I am ready to share with them the way out of hell. And the way into heaven, we know is the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Jerusalem was where his killers were in power, and they were to start there. And he's not finished with Jerusalem. The Bible makes this very clear. He's not finished with the Jewish people. He's not finished with those who have not heard the gospel. And there are many in this world, though I fear there aren't many in this country. There are many in this country who have heard the gospel and reject it nonetheless. To the prophet, in the prophet, uh, the speakings of prophet, the prophet Zechariah. Boy, I'll get that out eventually. It was so hard about saying Zechariah the prophet said. <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 16. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says Yahweh of hosts. And a surveyor's line shall be stretched over Jerusalem. That has a near and a far fulfillment. This was said, Zechariah and uh, the prophet Haggai, they, they were there in Jerusalem to get the temple rebuilt. The temple that was destroyed because of the, the, the people's faithlessness. It was a judgment. And yet God wanted that temple rebuilt. And he sends these two prophets to, to light a fire under the people. And they, they got it done. And that prophecy is the temple will be built. But it is also the millennial temple that is in mind. That temple will be built too. The world that Paul preached in was subject to Roman government, Grecian philosophy, and Hebrew religion. That's, this is the audience that, that Paul is dealing with in this synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia. And this Antioch of Pisidia will be responsible for going following Paul to Iconium and then on to Lystra and stirring up the crowd and they stoned him to death. But he got up. This is very serious stuff, religion. We know this. None of this, the Roman law, the Grecian philosophies, the Hebrew religion as it was at the time, not because of the scripture, but because of how the people administered the scripture. None of it satisfied the soul. Not like the gospel. Philosophy asks more questions than it answers. Listen to the philosophers of human history. And they just have all these, and a lot of them are just like, that's just crazy. That is wrong. That is not right. Still don't have the answers. They may get one or two right. That's not enough to pass the test. Government. The government of Rome allowed as much corruption as they looked to stop. In fact, even more. Because they certainly were corrupt against the smaller people to help the bigger people. That's a pyramid scheme, you could say. Religion, the Jewish religion, it was incomplete and it was unwelcoming. The Jews, they made the Gentiles feel like outsiders the whole time. And hopefully we Christians, uh, we make it, make it, we affirm that if you have not received Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian. The communion table is not for you, but you're still welcomed. And you are still offered the gospel. We don't want to make you feel like we are enemies of each other, though our outlook may be enemies, and there are some that are blatant sinners, and we have to treat them like enemies. They'll come into our churches, they'll snatch our kids up, and they'll do them eternal harm if they can. It's getting now, especially our little girls, so targeted by sexual perversity, the mutilation of infants and people in the name of sexual perversion. It's getting so it's another one bites the dust. Don't that be you? 
If you are a young young believer in Christ, don't you be another one that bites the dust to the world's violent attack on God's truth. When Christ was crucified, they nailed to the cross that he was the king of the Jews. It was not divisive. It was inclusive. That's why it was in the three most dominant uh, cultures and influences of the time in Jerusalem. It was written in the Greek language, again, the world's philosophies, which the Romans embraced. The Romans embraced the Grecian religion. They took their gods and made them, you know, change their names with the same gods. It was written in the Latin, the language of human authority. That authority signed off on the execution of God the Son. It was written in the Hebrew language. The only of all the religions in the world, the Hebrews had the only revealed religion. That was maintained. Because before them, there was revealed religion in Noah and Enoch. But that had all been washed away. It had all evaporated. It had all been assimilated into idolatry. But not the religion of the Jews at this time. The whole world is the point. Written in the Greek, the Latin, the Hebrew. The whole world endorsed the crime of Calvary and killing the Son of God. The whole world had the blood of the Son of God on their hands. They were guilty. And so is every sinner guilty of violating God's commandment and therefore his authority, his purity, making an offense against God. But God is merciful. He says, yeah, I know. I understand. But you need to understand too. If you're going to come to me, It's on my terms and no other. That is fair. God does not tell us to walk up steps on our knees or to uh, shave our hair and move to some place we don't want to live. God calls us to believe in his son. And we labor. We labor to meet the world's deep spiritual needs by preaching Christ according to Christ. Which is from the beginning of Genesis to the conclusion uh, the conclusion in Revelation. It was the word of God. Not the wonders, not the signs and the miracles. It was the word of God that drew these Gentiles in this synagogue to want to know more about Jesus Christ, and it should still be the same today. There's no reason we should say, oh, the word of God was enough for them, but we're too sophisticated for that. We need some sort of theater, some sort of circus inside the church. If we're going to believe, all that does is distract you from the truth and creates terms and conditions that God never meant for you to assign any kind of value to. Not signs, words, and words of truth. This is what drew them to Jesus, and this is what we're supposed to do to this day. I don't know about you, but I know about me. I came to Christ through the word of God. It was the word of God that broke my heart. It was the word of God that said to me, you're a sinner. He didn't scream at me. It's sort of just like uh, pull back the curtain and let me see for myself. Without a word, I knew I was guilty before a holy God who could squash me instantly if he so chose. But he did not. He chose to die for me instead. 
What a surprise. Truth decides our allegiances. Let me tell you, as a pastor, God is, according to me, according to my flesh, God has let me down a lot of times. And he's still worth all of my service, every bit of it, because he is true. And if, he, if I think I'm let down, it's because he has a good reason. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts and often past finding out. So I submit. Twice God spoke directly to the great prophet Jeremiah, who suffered probably more than any of the Old Testament prophets, repeatedly, for, for years, for decades. Twice in jail, he, he speaks the word to this man. That tells Jeremiah that God is on the throne, that he is real, that he is in control. Twice he spoke to him, twice he left him in jail. Where's the omnipotence in that? Why is it that I'm still suffering, praying to you, you're still ministering to me, I still love your word? Because he is worthy. Jeremiah 33.1, Moreover, the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah a second time while he was shut up in the court of the prison. You see, if I could dictate terms, if I didn't want to be let down, I would say, okay, let me out of jail, then speak to me. But that's not how it is. And by consent, we who love the Lord, love him because we hate lies. We hate lies about God. We hate lies about eternity. We hate lies about the Bible. And the way we show it is that we take whatever is thrown our way, no matter what. Just because Satan gets away with murder doesn't undo the sovereignty of my God. He's far beyond all that. And in the end, he's going to beat the snot out of him. Well, at least that's what I'm hoping for. I want to see it, too. Anyway, I'll stand in line for that one. God had the power to deliver the prophet from jail as he delivered Peter, but he did not. And I know I went over this a few, time, a few weeks before. But Jeremiah served nonetheless, and so much did he serve that he wrote, if you put Jeremiah and the lamentation of Jeremiah together, you have the longest book in the Bible. Well, the Psalms is not are a compilation. It is not just one psalm. There's 150 of them. They had something to sing about. And I, I, should, I guess we should ask ourselves as Christians, do we have something to sing about in the faith? In fact, the word of God is so powerful, the longest Psalm 119 is, about, is singing about God's word to man. That God would even speak to you is worth singing about. And David got that. He grabbed it uh, more, he was able to articulate that more than, than anyone in the, in the Old Testament. Verse 43, I forgot we're in the book of Acts. I was having a good time. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and the devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So after service, the service is over now. People are out in the chariot lot. Whatever they were driving. The, the devout proselytes were Gentiles, fully converted to Judaism. They had become, you know, converted to Judaism. Gentiles that were fed up with, again, the irrational and irrelevant gods of the cities that they lived in. If it's not made in heaven, have nothing to do with it. When it comes to faith, when it comes to what thus says the Lord, if it's not from the throne of God, 
and have stamped on it, made in heaven. Leave it alone. Who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of, in the grace of God. To continue. Well, that would be a meaningless encouragement unless there was the risk of not continuing. Because we all know someone who started in the faith and they have not continued. Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. You like that? God, God can either clunk, clunk you upside your head if, if that's what it comes to, or he can just embrace you. It's your choice. It's not arbitrary. It's not like, well, yeah, today I'm just in a bad mood as God. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness. He says this. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And those who follow the Calvinistic religion, they hem and haw over that. And try to tell you it doesn't mean what it says. Because they have to uphold their man-made religion. Too bad Jesus and Paul and Peter didn't have Calvinism. Anyway, I'm going to hit that again before we're out of here this morning. Because it needs to be hit. And you really can't win an argument with them. They're too arrogant. They think that you're not analytical. You're not intelligent enough. That you can't see the king's clothes. Even though he's naked. Because it's only for intelligent people to see the clothes. You know the, 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 the I don't know what's that called. A parable? Not a parable. Whatever it is. I don't, don't, don't shout it out. Secretly tell me. Later. Slip me a five while you're doing it. Verse 44. On the next Sabbath, the whole, uh, the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Now, it's not a little hyperbole. It's, a, it's an expression because Antioch is a sizable city. And you couldn't fit the whole city in the synagogue. It wasn't a stadium. But of those who were interested, amongst the Gentiles especially, and this is what stirs up the envy of the Jews. And we've never had a full sanctuary like this before. All these Gentiles are coming in. And they didn't care for that. They didn't care that they, whatever it was that they were doing was not drawing such attention. So we're a week later, a week after the sermon of, of Paul, they come to hear the word of God. That's what it says in verse 44. And the place was packed. No mention of music, no mention of tongues or programs for my teens. They came to hear the word of God. The synagogue, the word means assembly. It's what the church does. The church assembles. Do not place the local church in second position to the universal church. This is a common practice. Well, the church is everywhere. Said by people who don't want, who don't plug into the local church. It is the local church that Christ preached in. The synagogues of his day. It is the local synagogue. Paul preached in. It was the local church that Paul rented to use for the church the the place of Tyrannus. We'll get to that later in Acts where he rented a, a facility so he could have a local church. Learn to fight for the local church instead of fight from the local church. It is, uh, Satan hates it. He hates that we have a local place to gather to hear the word of God. And he does whatever he can do to upset that. There's little criticisms, a little whisper here, a gossip there. I don't like this and I don't like that. 
you'll notice at the pews there's no suggestion box. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. It's not an insult. Anyway, back to this. They were not there to read the best-selling Christian book. They were not there to hear about politics. Though political things come up sometimes. They were not there to get rich by putting more money in the offering plate. They were there to hear the truth, whether it convicted or not. They were there to hear the truth. And what was supposed to be a day of rest, the Sabbath, was going to be a day of unrest. Jesus said, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You're going to upset people. When you tell them, you know, what, what group do you belong to? Do you know that sin? Do you know that that group is against God and the scripture? That causes trouble with people, especially some who think that they're devout Christians. And they, they belong to groups that they, they don't need to be with. Jesus condemned the rabbis' teachings of his days when those teachings went without the word of God. And so we hear him say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said that you shall hate your enemies and, and love your neighbor. But I say to you. Jesus went on to say that the scripture might be fulfilled. This is how he did business, preaching the word of God. His constant reference to the word. And he delighted quoting it. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded it to them in all the scripture. The things concerning himself. Luke 24, 44 and 45. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you. You get that? These are the words I spoke to you. That's the word of God to you. He continues. While I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. I love this stuff. After all these years, after all the letdowns and setbacks and disappointments, I love this stuff. And I don't plan to stop. When someone doesn't agree with me, I pray that they won't be so stupid. No, I'm kidding. I don't do that. Some of you didn't think that was funny. I will. <laughs> anyway, back to this. If uh, the editor of this message could take out those snorts, I would appreciate it when you, before it goes on the radio. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. What? You mean I don't have enough on my own to know what's being... You, know, you don't. You come to Christ, you come as a pauper. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are a pauper, spiritually. You don't know anything when it comes to God until God comes to you. The phrase in the, in the Greek, we say born again, and that's proper. But it also can be equally translated born from above. Made in heaven. Touched by God. It's not enough to think you're smart enough to understand without the Holy Spirit, you can't do it. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing of yourselves. Uh, this, to the point to me, again, Luke 24. Again, Luke 24 is Christ risen now. And this is what he has to say to his disciples. Thus it is written. There he goes again. He's off with the scripture stuff again. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. If the church is not preaching the word of God, she's not doing her duty. She's derelict. 
from the temptation in the wilderness to his death on the cross, constantly quoting scriptures unapologetically with zeal for his father's house. Now, I can't offer that much zeal, but I can muster up more than I would have had I made no effort. It does matter. It does count. Verse 45, And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. There's better things to be filled with than envy. And there's a good envy. You know, boy, you know, you got to raise. I envy that. I wish I got to raise. Good for you. Then there's that mean envy. Like, I hate you for being, <laughs> getting all better things than I, than I have. That's the one that Satan wants to use. Isaiah said to the Jews in their scripture this about Jesus Christ as Messiah. Isaiah 53, verse 2. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. That's the world. That's not just the Jewish people that rejected their Messiah and blasphemed and contradicted, as we read here in verse 45. That's every lost soul. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know the born-again Christian is opposite of that. We love the Lord. We can't wait to see him. And don't let hardship in life and losses in life steal from you that passion, that zeal. Go back to your roots in Christianity from time to time. Joshua built memorials everywhere. Yeah, put some stones over there. We're going to remember what God did here. We should do the same thing. There, here they are in the synagogue contradicting their own scripture. They could not refute Paul. So they blasphemed their own Messiah. What did they gain by that? And they became killers, hunting him down. What more could Jesus have done? What more could the apostles have done to reach these people? Nothing. They did all that they could. The first Christians were rejected by the Jerusalem Jews and then the Jews of the diaspora, those dispersed throughout the Gentile world. And now we have Christians who are rejected by Gentiles wherever they go. Whatever. It's not like, well, the Jews were worse than the Gentiles. No, they're all the same. Rather than psychoanalyze them, Paul and Barnabas are going to shake the dust off their feet and say, all right, fine. Choose your own fate. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, and you've got to love that. They're going to stand up to these guys. Fine. You don't believe. We're not going to appease you. We're not going to change our doctrine to make you comfortable. This is the truth. We can't change truth. We want you to like it. We're not trying to hurt your feelings. If the truth hurts, then do something about it. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. There it is again. The word of God. What an emphasis scripture puts on the Bible. And yet so many churches and Christians refuse to do it. Get quite indignant about it. The word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you rejected it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. What is that? Judge yourselves unworthy? That shoots down Calvinism. I thought you didn't have a free will. That's not how it's given to us. And for those of you who don't know what Calvinism is, it's a system of teaching attached to a man who really promoted this teaching that essentially says, now they won't admit this until you corner them, you are damned for all eternity because you have been damned from all eternity. you got nothing to say about it. You're going to be saved against your will, whether you like it or not, or you'll be damned to hell against your will, whether you like it or not. That is Calvinism. 
And when they come to scripture verses, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, they take that world to mean, oh, no, it's just the elected ones, the ones that haven't been damned. Where do they get this stuff from? Well, I'll tell you. You're not going to learn this anywhere else. They have this big top hat. <laughs> and there's a rabbit in there. And there's doctrine. You could just pull it out like magic. These are smart. These are intelligent, good people relative to everything else. But when it comes to this, they've, they've gulped the Kool-Aid. And they lockstep. And maybe you resent hearing me say it. That's not my problem. I'm not changing my doctrine to, to make anybody feel comfortable. Uh, I would, uh, it, it's, it's just a fact. And um, it's, it's sad to see them spend so much time trying to tell you a verse doesn't mean what, it's, what it says. If you continue in the faith. You know why they tell you? That if you are truly saved, you can't be lost. Because God picked you. And if God picked you, he can't make a mistake. So there's no way you can go. Well, I got some more to say about it. I'll, I'll give it and sort of, I'll ration it out so you're not overwhelmed. And then try to turn on me. Which is your prerogative, of course. Anyway, Jesus said this. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. And here the Jews are saying to him, we don't want to hear it. But that's what they talk about, the scriptures. They talk about him. Nobody else fulfilled this. Undeterred, we get to chapter 17. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures. He still goes to the synagogues. He doesn't say, oh, that didn't work. Oh, we got stoned over there. That did. He still goes at them. How admirable. But since you rejected, verse 46, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. God has not excluded the Jewish people from accepting Jesus Christ. Those Jews who don't want to accept it have excluded themselves. It's just not this no mandate from God that I'm going to the Gentiles only and nobody else can come. Not at all. When a person rejects Christ, it's not because they're Jew or Gentiles, it's because they made the wrong choice. Verse 47, which, again, the Calvinists say you don't have free will when it comes to this. So what's the free will offering about? Why does the Bible put some emphasis on that? I mean, these things are just a disconnect. Men that I admire, many of them, follow this stuff. And I think it's, it's you know, all we like sheep go astray. And not to the point of condemnation. I don't believe that that will send you to hell. I just think you're way wrong. Way wrong. Verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. That was the assignment of the Jews. Incidentally, if, if, if God selects who goes to heaven and who doesn't, preaching is pointless. Why bother? I mean, it's already been decided. It's a fatalistic view. And they're, they're going to him and haw and say, that's not what it means. Oh, no, that's what it means. I'm just cutting through the frills, getting to the point. That's why you write books that thick to try to explain why you b- believe that stuff. Anyway, Paul, he saw the fulfillment of Isaiah 42 and 49, which is about Messiah being the salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles also. Isaiah 49, verse 6. He's speaking about his servant to come, Messiah, who is 
his son. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is profound. God wanted Israel to share their scriptures, which recorded the experiences between God's people and God. For example, Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. He's speaking to Abraham. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that is because of the Messiah. They never learned how to invite the out, truly learned how to invite the outsider in. Always majoring in the minor points of scripture. Jesus said it this way, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. The priorities are twisted. We got to get out of here. Well, you know, this is what it takes. Jesus said to his disciples, could you not watch with me one hour? Well, we're usually out of here in 59 minutes. So we're right at that threshold. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Well, they lit up with joy hearing that the God of the Jews could be the God of the Gentiles too, as Gentiles. That's well, you've got to become Jewish first. No, you can, be, you can belong to him. If you come to the Messiah of the Jew, he is the Christ of the Gentile. Their Savior. And we can hear them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You can hear, you can hear when Paul's preaching. They're like, man, this is what I've been waiting for. Thank you. As many as had been appointed to eternal life. Appointed, not for appointed. How do you get appointed to anything? Well, there's usually some consideration. Would you just appoint anybody to drive you home? You might appoint me to drive you home if you want to get there fast. <laughs> but would you just appoint anybody? No, you wouldn't go back to the kids' ministry and say, hey, you, how, you, can you reach the gas pedal? They don't get appointed to that. There's some thinking that goes invo- is involved. In verse 46, where they reje- reject, it doesn't say they're foreappointed or unelected. No, they rejected the gospel. The accurate translation of that word appointed is enrolled. Free will. And uh, for time's sake, I guess, the Lord, you know, I wrestled with the Lord. Lord, how hard do I hit this Calvinism? Hard as you can, Rick. No, he didn't say that. He didn't. And I struggled with it, you know, so I'm just editing out. Well, I still have a lot, but we're out of time, which is deleting. So I got some other hits first. <laughs> Parting shots. If God appointed them to be saved just because, and then damned the others, in verse 46, just because, then again, preaching is pointless. This is what your Bible says. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. D.L. Moody put it this way. The elect are whoever wills. The non-elect are the whosoever wants. So simple and to the point. And, you know, then you get, of course, the brainiac Christians think they know better than, than Moody. They weren't saving, saving tons of Moody, people like Moody was. Anyway, I, we won't, I can't go into free will and tyranny because, you know, the whole one-hour thing. But just, just suffice it to say, I am right. And if you're a Calvinist, you are wrong and you should change teams. Now, there will be some in Radio Land that will 
they'll be turning over in their seat listening to this. Well, I still love you as a Calvinist. <laughs> oh, no, come on. All right, this 49, let's finish this up. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Well, when the synagogues rejected Jesus, the Gentiles began, they were on fire. And some of these that were believers were Jews. They were, it tells us right out that there were Jews, many Jews, that also believed. It was not like none of the Jews believed. There were unbelieving Jews, and there were believing Jews. There were unbelieving Gentiles, there were believing ones also. The passion for Christ creates a desire to preach Christ, to share him, that God saves a sinner who repents. Verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. Well, the Gentiles, spreading the joy shared by their Jewish teachers, many of the Jews killing the joy shared by their Jewish brothers. Um, uh, life's messed up that way. I've got references here, but we've got to finish this. Verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. Following the Lord's instructions, Matthew chapter 10, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And uh, I should have we don't have time for it. Just suffice it to say, Jesus said, don't stand there and argue with them. You cast pearl before swine, they're going to trample you. Uh, we have no philosophy as Christians to deliver. We have an ultimatum, and that's what it is. Uh, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The Jews were able to drive the servants of God out of their city, but they could not drive the Holy Spirit out of the heart. And that should be the way it is with anyone. Um, well, let's, let's pray. Our Father, the action-packed activity in the Spirit, the same things that the first Christians faced and endured, the, the latter Christians, we to this day, still have to face May we understand that we are here in your house assembled to hear your word, to hear from you, that we could be used by you for whatever it is that you have assigned us to do. We thank you for this. Nothing like it on earth. If you've been listening this morning and you've not opened your heart to Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have an opportunity right now you're not promised another one. You might get one. You might not. If you want to be right with God, you have to go through Jesus Christ. The world hates that thought. But this is the revelation of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except through me. If you would like to go to the Father through Christ and make this prayer in earnest, Lord Jesus, I have broken your commandments. <clears throat> I have done opposite of what you have commanded man to do. That makes me a sinner. That disqualifies me from heaven. And yet you have made a way in nonetheless to be requalified. And that is through coming to your son who died in my place to take my punishment 
and who lives again to enforce my salvation, to protect me, to bring me into glory one day. I give my life to you, and I ask from this day forward that not only would you be the Lord over my life and the Savior of my soul, but that I would be unashamed of my declaration that I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they indeed step forward, not be ashamed, not to the applause of men, but to the confirmation and the courage of their own confession. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are listening online and you have opened your heart to Christ, then we encourage you to call the church, ask to speak to a pastor, let him pray with you. If you, have, if you are in the church and you've opened your heart to Christ, the pastors are here to my left and right. Meet with them after, at the end of the service. If you have to wait in line a little bit, wait in line. Because they're also here for those of you who have prayer requests and those beloved praise reports. Uh, would you stand, please? As we head out this week, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. To that, the righteous would say, Amen. Amen.